Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the second episode of the Marshall Way podcast with me, Bradley Clark, and my good friend and co-host, Connor College. Connor, how are you doing today? All right, you? I'm doing good. It's a it's a good week in the miserable northeast of England. Yeah, uh, a few days, hasn't it? Yeah, but, well, we'll just have to live with the weather. It'll only last for so long. Uh, and then we'll be back to summer and hopefully no longer a lockdown. So. Nah, you're, you're optimistic there, aren't you? <laughs> well, there's a vaccine allegedly now. Uh, we'll just have to see how it goes. As long as everyone starts sprouting extra arms from it, I think I'll be all right. That's it, yeah, that's it. Exactly. Right. In the last episode, for everyone who hasn't listened before, uh, or the very first episode, uh, there's only one more. So if you haven't listened to it, go on. You haven't got much to, yeah, you know, you, you haven't got much to listen to. You haven't got much to catch up on. Uh, we started off. We started off reading through the Kyokushin Beginner's Guide by Nathan Lego, uh, which is a book aimed at replicating the standards and values of uh, Eastern Kyokushin in Masayama's dojo, uh, and replicating that in the Western dojo, uh, setting out a, a guide of standards, values, and you know things to be aware of. Uh, when practicing your Kyokushin karate in the in the dojo, and talk, we're talking about how we can take these lessons and apply them to everything in life, and how the dojo is well, it's a philosophy for life if you take it the right way, if you're willing to learn from it. Uh, and and obviously you yourself, Connie, you've been in martial arts your entire life, yeah. uh, and you for the most part live those things. You know, every day they become ingrained in you, don't they? Yeah, eventually. Yeah. I mean, the the point of the book is it's like a little guide, isn't it, to to help you understand what it's like in the, the over in the east. Mm. So, yeah, it's it's a good way of. I mean, once you realise just how harsh, so to speak, um, they have it in the uh, in the in the east. It's it's easy. It's hard to see how we can implement it over here. We are fairly soft realistically over compared to those countries those countries have had it a lot harder than us over the year you know we you know way back when we had it hard but obviously we as a a nation and as a civilization sort of develop laziness almost and complacency a lot sooner than a lot of those other countries and the hard ways of life and the lessons that came with that never really stuck uh, a lot of people that do live them, but in the grand scheme of things, when you know you can order something on Amazon and have a robot delivered to you the next day, it's almost like, well, why bother? Why bother with the struggle anymore? You know? Yeah. So you can get things delivered by like a drone and that now, can't you? Oh, well, exactly, and it gets a bit. I think that struggle gets a bit lost almost. Yeah. You know? Seek out and embrace the suck, so to speak. Mm. So anyway, in the last episode, we left it off with uh, we only got we we spent an hour about forty five minutes talking, and we only got on to lesson number seven, uh, which goes to show just how many lessons you can take out of this. Considering that I said what there was about one hundred and twenty lessons in yeah, here altogether. Something lessons throughout the book, yeah. Yeah. So we'll go back to the book today. We'll try and skip over not skip over the unimportant parts, but we'll go through a lot of the. Uh, uh, there's there's a lot in here that kind of repeats itself a bit, so we'll we've been, I've been rereading this as well, just yeah, actually break it down like, to to what we need yeah. to talk about, won't we? Yeah, because I've been rereading this and realizing how much there is and how much he expects from you as a, a practitioner of Kyokushin Karate. Uh, you realize exactly what what there is to uh, go not, through. Not so much like just Kyokushin itself, but like just Karate in general, any martial art like. Uh, the, yeah. The good, the good lessons to to have set in you when you do any sort of um, martial art, I would say. Exactly, and these are, these apply like Taekwondo, Jiu Jitsu, Krav Maga, Karate, a Screamer, Japanese Jiu Jitsu. They apply to if you're just training how to how to become a sprinter, yeah. or in football, or if you're training dogs, for example. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, these are lessons. That you carry with you through life and they're important so we'll start here it's lesson number seven back to the book and lesson number seven is own the complete the complex series of emotions you've been shown um 
And this section addresses the intensity and confidence with which students who have learned an exercise must perform the first couple of moves of that exercise from that point forward. One common early hurdle that must be crossed in every beginner's karate learning experience is figuring out that how one learns changes as one progresses. For example, a first-day student can virtually only imitate and try to copy what the other students are doing. Taking that first step to where he or she can perform a complex series of motions by looking inward to what he or she knows, instead of looking outward and copying what someone else knows, is a necessary step that some students have a surprising amount of trouble with. I've seen beginners, particularly kids, who develop their ability to copy over the first weeks and even months of training to such an extent that it's difficult even to tell that that student doesn't know the exercise for him herself until that day when you ask that student to do it on his or her own. Lo and behold, with no one to copy, he or she is completely lost. How many times when you've ever held a grade have you looked at a young student, and it's always the kids, who are sat there and you get the group up to go, right, do the first kata, and you do the first two counts and you immediately see one kid whose head's swiveling on a pole trying to find out exactly where he is. How many times have you seen that? It's constant. But that's why when I used to grade, they used to put forward that people should uh, really do at least one of their chosen catters by themselves to, mm -hmm. to show that they actually do know um, the the movements and things. Otherwise, I mean, you do get you know you, well you know yourself when you when you go to do something such as big as a, a grid and that sometimes it just drops out your head. Yeah, it's to me. Yeah, it's it's just one of them things. You get up there and you're like, oh god, I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah, and then <laughs> once you see someone do the first few, you're like, oh right there, that right, I know where I'm at now, and you you carry on through. But it, that that's why I liked when I when I used to do uh, grids and things. I used to forward saying that you know one will do it one at a time but it's also can be very degrading when you get pulled up and then you, you're not quite sure on it and that can be embarrassing but yeah i've done it in grading yeah yeah well i think everyone has at some point you know like yeah. I said, sometimes it just comes to the point where it's like you get you stand up and it's like oh god because you're trying to think of everything, you're not just trying to think of <laughs> things that, that could pop up in the grid, and you have to think of everything. And, yeah. Um, but you you know yourself, your grades are just based on one thing. It's based on a lot of things, and you know we know we we know what people know and don't know before mm -hmm. they actually get there. Um, but it's in, I, I I personally prefer when one person goes up and does a cutter and then back down mm -hmm. but it's also unfair if so you've got six uh, green belts the first green belt comes up does their cutter and then the second one had actually forgot and they were like oh right that's it all right okay yeah kind of like hints them out but <clears throat> yeah this is a thing for life as well how many people go through life just going through the motions and just copying everyone and when they actually come to have some level of responsibility you can see them floundering, especially sort of in middle management and, you know, very early on in their life where they're, they're obviously just copying someone, but they never learn how to learn to do something by themselves. Uh, aren't they called sheeple or something? Is that what you use? Something like that, yeah. You, you, you're copying, you're not copying, yeah. learning. You're not actually doing anything for yourself. And, you know, there's a, there's a phrase of saying you rise, you rise to the level of your own incompetence. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, that shows when people, you get up to a point where you can no longer go any further forward because you're not, you're too incompetent to go forward, but you can't be dropped back down because the manager doesn't want to look stupid for saying, oh, well, obviously I've, I've promoted this person incorrectly, but it's obvious all the time through that you're riding on other people's coattails. Yeah, you're obviously not doing it yourself. You're not bothering to learn. Uh, and it's, it's, it shows people who aren't willing to learn like it's like this is to own to physically own the complex. It's like like this is my kata. This is my work. This mm -hmm. is my job. This is my thing. You know, take the responsibility and the ownership for it. And then you're you know ownership through life, through every aspect of everything is a is talked about everywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's in the military, you know, own the drill that you're doing, own you know your own shooting capabilities. If you're a if you're a sprinter, you know, own your own technique for sprinting, own the start, own this, own, you know, yeah. ownership's a big thing, but people don't do it. They just copy and paste and 
again, I mean, the that comes down to um, the, the instruction as well. I mean, if, you, if you've got an mm-hmm. instructor who only shows you what a pattern is, that person is only ever copying. I always yeah. found if you, if, if, you, if you want to show a student a cutter, show them how the cutter actually works and they tend to actually mm-hmm. pick it up more because then they've got something to uh, like compare. visualize. Yeah, visualize, compare. Yeah, visualize. That's a better word. Thank you. And to, and then they can put that together, and then it's like, all oh, right, well, I'm doing this for this reason, and then the pieces just start to start start to slot. Uh, that, that was that was what I found when I, when I when I taught. Uh, it was if you give people like a visualization of what you're doing this for, the, the, mm-hmm. they would have a better understanding. It wouldn't just be copying. It would, yeah, you know. And this goes when we did basics, which is done when we've done everything. I mean, you've done it, you did, you used me as a demonstration for the kids before, mm-hmm. where you've said, right, I'll do the second move of Tai which is you step, you slide your right foot forward and you punch with your right hand. Mm-hmm. That it's a it's very simple. But people just do the movement. And you did the movement to me, and you just sort of pushed and kept on going, and you couldn't do anything. Your hand just sort of bounced. It didn't even bounce off me, it didn't even get further forward. And you said, and this is what I do when I do it properly. And then you went bang with your body weight yeah, and actually and the kids what it is to actually do a punch. And then you suddenly and you could see it around the around the room, their heads going, Oh, yeah. Oh, that's what I'm meant to be doing. Yeah, because all, all, all yeah. a kid sees is just step forward, stick your arm out. Yeah. And then it's a lot more to it than just step forward, stick your arm out. You know, you know that yourself. Um, everything yeah, you're doing has got a, a meaning to it. If, if you've got an instructor that's literally just showing you the pattern and the and the, the movements and that's that's all that person is going to do um, but if you mm. start and show them what them pattern like the movements are for and how they can be used and adapted and, and it, they tend to pick it up quicker I find yeah well I think this this thing is uh, I see I learn what that how does the phrase go I think it's I see I learn I do I remember mm. something along those lines and it's yeah. it's um right back to the book remember that training is not memorizing oh, funny enough <laughs> it's not struggling day after day to learn the what learning the what rather is what you have to do in one class or two before your training and that ex- exercise actually begins training means performing the exercise over and over again to master it but your practice doesn't even begin until you can at least do it once without interrupting the flow of the class to sort out how you're supposed to do it it's therefore very important that the coloured belt student owns what he or she has learned, even when shown only once. This means, in the case of complex use of motions, performing it powerfully the first time in any class when called upon to do so, rather than performing it as may be the habit formed when you first learned it in slow motion a couple of times tentatively as if to recall what comes next. In short, in a shorter sentence, rather than just learning the motion, learn the full sequence how we do it properly and in a flow that doesn't interrupt other people's learning. Yeah. I mean, this is this is what's going to happen quite often because the boot it, it, it goes from one rule and that rule links to another. And when we're when we're explaining one rule, we're actually explaining into the next one. But yeah, it's mm-hmm. practically just what we've been on about. You know, it's better to have an understanding of what that movement's for rather than just oh, it's step forward, stick your arm out. It's not just yeah. Button, it's, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You can't just half-arse things. Yeah. Speaking of half-arsing, rule number eight, drop back to the book, drink some, spit some, you'll fail. Yep. The proper attitude for learning in the Budo Karate Dojo is to devour what you're being taught like you're ravenous. Drink it down like you're dying of thirst. The student who does so is the student on his or her toes. He or she is a student who is fighting to be first to ensure that he or she is never last. Basically, you're doing half-arse things. Is the, is the short version of that entire uh, of that entire lesson because You're cheating yourself on you if you know if you well exactly I mean and again oh, sorry go uh, on when you're training for like competition and things if you know you when you're doing you do ten push ups just for the, an example five of them push ups yeah brilliant and then you're like oh can't be bothered and you just start and like like you say half ass the the push ups you. The person you're competing against doing ten decent push-ups, and you know the, yeah. the training's already fifty percent better than what yours already is. 
Um, mm-hmm. So it's important to not never cheat yourself, but don't. I think this comes where don't set stupid goals as well, um, because I think that's where a lot of people's uh, where they start to give up uh, comes in. Mm-hmm. You know, don't don't Absolutely. set a goal of oh I'm going to do 300 push-ups in in uh, on my first goal. Start off small and like you know little chunks that you can achieve, and then just build yeah. on that. Absolutely. I mean, back to the book on this one. Now consider the following critical point. Imagine the teacher who's teaching bad karate, bad attitude, or worse, unethical behavior. In this case, what's the student's responsibility? Easy. Find another teacher. However, now consider the more likely situation. The, this author hopes that 98% of what I teach is positive. However, I'm also human. Humans are not perfect. And sometime during many hours of my time spent with my long term, longest term students, I will likely demonstrate some poor choice or another, thus setting a poor example. Now, here's the part that is difficult for a Western student of Voodoo karate to grasp. If you have a well-intentioned teacher, it is your job as a student to gulp down the teacher's everything and say, oh, sensei, may I have another glass? Even if you question privately what's being offered, just as it's absolutely critical that the student quit learning from a teacher that has a student that has determined is not well-intentioned or not ethical. It is also absolutely critical that the student gulp down everything the well-intentioned teacher offers because, well, and this is important enough to give its own paragraph. And again, he does go on uh, quite a bit on this one. Uh, but again, basically, the, the the principle is, it is your duty as a student to take on board everything. But it's, it's also your duty as a student to be critical uh, and mindful of the fact of what your teacher is teaching you. Mm-hmm. And not just not just in the lesson in life as well, uh, but I mean this is how you end up with these cult of personalities that uh, especially when you see the muk dojos and these no touch karate guys and they're flailing around and jumping all over the shop because these guys aren't critically questioning what they're actually learning. They're just they're doing the full drink some, but uh, you know they're they're taking it, but they're not they're not taking it and questioning it at the same time. That, and you have to question like you know do do your own research as well don't take everything just as pure gospel um, exactly you know there's, a, there's there's you I mean you know yourself there's different ways to do the same thing um mm-hmm. and some ways work better than better than others so if you go out there and you do your own research there, there might be a guy that you you've learned a kick and they they can put it in a better light than what your mm-hmm. group is doing, but yeah, don't take anything for gospel. You know, there's there's that much information out there that you can go out and you can find not so much better information, but um, more suited to you, maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at the, you know, arguably the the closest um, martial art to Kyokushin karate specifically would be Thai boxing mm-hmm. or uh, Mai Thai, because it's what it's the only most karate that comes that is full contact is usually derived from uh, a Kyokushin offshoot. Uh, so I think that would be an unfair thing to say, oh, well, there's another version, but the closest other martial art would be th- would be Thai boxing or kickboxing, which came from karate anyway. Yeah. Um, but they do have subtleties in there that you could learn the same kick from both people. Say you take a leg kick from Thais and leg kick from Kyokushin. They're the same kick, but they're both going to be learned differently. But a Thai, exactly. But a Thai, a Thai instructor might teach you a way that meshes your brain together better than a Kyokushin instructor will teach it. But you still have to figure out which one works for you in the best way. And then once you found out the one that works, you go all in on that and you take it on and you take it on board. You you know, like I said, you don't half ass. You have to really, really find the best thing that works properly. Question everything. That, question everything. Always be asking questions because that's the only way you learn. But once you found out the things that work and the things that you know work, you must be going all in on them. You ha- and it's the same thing on life. If you start, eventually you have to go. Ill, you have to go in on something. Otherwise, you end up with a paralysis by analysis. You just start thinking, oh, well, what if I do this? What if I do that? I'll do one more thing. It's like, no, just actually get a hold of something and go all in. Eventually you've got to, otherwise you're just going to end up floundering. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, anyway, back to the book. Number nine, be the ocean. 
Uh, sounds very um, mm-hmm. very Bruce Lee, this yeah, one. Be water, what, was he, what did he say? <laughs> be water, my friend. Yeah, become the god. <laughs> <laughs> uh, consider the drawing, which there's a drawing on another page of what looks like a, a squiggly line, like a, a wave that you would see in a physics class and a star drawn a few inches underneath it. Uh, consider the drawing in which the squiggly line is the surface of the ocean and the star represents a location at the ocean's depths. My Tai Kyokuzen, uh, my Tai Chi teacher, a Zen and Tai Chi master in Japan named Sensei Yamaguchi Hakui, recently explained to me that if we take this diagram to represent life, most people live their lives on the surface. They have good days and bad days, healthy days and sick days, strong days and weak days. On the diagram, the good days are the crests of the wave, the bad days are the troughs. However, he said, those of us who are training have a chance during our training to experience the depths of the ocean. Whether it be through Zen meditation or Tai Chi or through Buddha karate, when training flows like it's supposed to, when the group is a group of mostly mostly toes, when the majority have the proper spirited attitude, when everyone is following the rules of etiquette and focuses on the how rather than the what, when everyone is channeling their teacher's teaching, we all get a chance to experience a temporary release from the concerns of life. Which a lot of people equate martial arts, and I I find this especially prevalent in jiu-jitsu. Uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, they equate training almost to a spiritual ascension, almost. It's like a spiritual experience for them. Mm. Uh, you know, it's that flow state. You know, once you're in and you, you're not you're not so much going with the ebb, you actually get to truly experience. And you're not just going with motions. You get to truly experience what it's like to actually, you know, get that just right amount of adrenaline flow, that right amount of focus, that right amount of fun, that right amount of challenge. And that's what I always assumed he was talking about here. Mm. You know, you've got it once you're training and you're actually training correctly, everyone reaches that flow state. Everything's just challenging enough to push you, but it's not boring enough and repetitive enough that you're not just like, oh, it's just this again. I can't be bothered. I can't be asked to do this. Blah, 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 blah. And it's it's fascinating that this is it's, this is effectively flow state without actually saying flow state. Uh, yeah, I, and I, I would recommend. I think the state comes from if you, you know, you, if you've got a good instructor. Mm-hmm. You need, you've got to have a good instructor to keep the the momentum going in the in the class. If you if your instructors, I mean, you know yourself, if your instructors having a bad day, then the whole class nine times out of ten has a bad day. Yeah, they're gonna get beasted. If you're instructing, <laughs> you've got to you've you've got to kind of like. Put on that happy face, even if you are having a crap day, to yeah, just to just to get the morale and everything, like you said, flown and that you know. Yeah, I mean the last sentence that he puts here for this chapter is, in case B, the student realizes that the teacher is not asking for rocket science and that oh, it's in my power to exist harmoniously in my own dojo. I just have to prioritize what my teacher is asking me to prioritize. No, it is just. That, that there sums up that entire chapter. It's in your power to respond to the class and to respond to the teacher and to respond to life's challenges, as it would be, to respond to your boss, to respond to a manager, to respond to anyone else. It's your power to do these things. Not It's up to the teacher. The teacher's there to teach you, but it's in your power and it's your responsibility to learn and to be willing to learn and to be willing to be taught at the same time. Yes. And it's up to you and it's in your power to exist within that pocket correctly. You know, it's not about not upsetting the boat, but it's about 100% you reacting correctly to the situation and helping the class grow as a whole, whether you're the instructor or, or the first day or you're a seasoned veteran of the course, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Now, number 10, that the book complete tasks that you've been assigned promptly and powerfully. Again, fight to be first. Uh, I'll go back to, to go back to the book. It is a central part of Budo Karate system that the Kuhai fights to complete any task that the Senpai challenges the Kuhai to perform and to do it promptly and powerfully. To give perspective on this one, I don't think we actually discussed no, it. Uh, the Kuhai, Kuhai... Yeah, I was going to say we need to explain yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, the Kuhai and Senpai system is basically the, the teacher and student. To, an, uh, to, to simplify it, the senpai is normally someone who is above you in terms of rank, teacher, rank experience, teaching and instruction level. 
Uh, and the Kohai is those who are underneath you, again, in terms of uh, teaching experience, rank, um, you know, all those kind of things. So in this case, I was, I, uh, I'm a green belt. Connor would be a, a black belt. Connor would be my senpai uh, in rank and in structure as this. And he would be my Kohai. Sorry, I will be his Kohai because I am lesser than him in uh, instruction and knowledge and all that. However, if I was a black belt, if I if we still had this dynamic, but then Connor came to me and said, "Bradley, can you teach me how to play Call of Duty really well?" It would go the other way. Yeah. You would be my, I would be yeah. your semi because I have more experience. A, um, this this system and, isn't just uh, martial arts based in, in over in Japan. It is uh, this this goes through through everything from family to <laughs> to your, to your work. So the Kohai yeah. senpai system is. It's quite big in Japan compared to like, anywhere else. Yeah. Especially over there, obviously, they were feudal for, you know, hundreds of years. Yeah. Uh, even up to fairly recent times uh, where class and rank and stature was looked upon as, you know, a, a highly important part of the culture. And it still is to, uh, to a good extent. Uh, I've heard stories where, and I think this is discussed, in Jude Reed's book, um, Young Lions, where he talks about if your boss goes out for drinks on the night, you are expected to go with your boss, keep up with him, drink for drink, and still turn in the next day at six o'clock, even if he go home at three in the morning. Yeah. You are expected to stay up and follow your boss. Yeah. And that's how you go, that's how they go ahead in their lives. Whoever's above them in any way holds rank and they pull rank and you do what they say. And it's very. Go on, go on. It's 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 it's, it's hard for us Westerners to understand yes. that because how many times have you had a have you had a boss or a manager that you look at and go, he's a good mate, him, he's a good guy, him, or you know she's a good friend or anything. But, I mean, Over there, you're not friends with how anyone. Often, how often do you go in, when you go into a shop and and someone someone speaking to the the person on the the counter or whatever like 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 really like really nastily, it's. You don't tend to get that in um, in Japan. And one of the one mm-hmm. of the things I was is it Jimmy Smith? Is he the guy who did the the docu series where he went round the different countries and did martial arts? Um, I call oh, it uh, yeah, it might have been him. Yes, he's, I think if so. If you haven't watched that, that is, that it's definitely certainly worth it. Worth a watch. Um, but Jimmy Smith, yeah. I think he commentated for the UFC. Uh, for, for a yeah, I think he got recently booted yeah. or something. He ended, he's in, in a, been a bit of trouble yeah. lately, but um, but he went to Japan to do like a kyokushin, do the um, yeah, train kyokushin for a week, and then at the end of it, he had to fight ten black belts uh, off or something, something similar to that for two minutes or whatever it was. And he it was a he did like a, a YouTube video where he was talking about his experience while he was in Japan doing uh, the kyokushin, and uh, his he went he had a female translator. And they were out having drinks one night, and um, he said to the the woman, he says, uh, "Oh, do you want me to to walk walk you home, like to the train station, because it was late?" And she he said like she just looked at him weed and was like, "Why?" And he was like, "Well, it's late, you know, anything could happen." She was like, "We live in Japan, like there's barely no crime," and she said she told him a story when she went out and she got really really drunk one time. And she passed out in the middle of like um, somewhere in in Tokyo, and uh, she said, uh, "People, she woke up and people were walking around her, and someone had picked up her phone, her wallet, and something else, and stacked it all up neatly right next to her. So when she woke up the next morning, <laughs> it was there, nice and safe. So uh, it's, a, it's a different. You, if if you went to Japan, you'd probably think, well, it's a different world." You know, yeah. But it's because of this structure that they've got. Everything's so crisp and works well. You don't, yeah. you just won't have that Japan anymore. is a different yeah. experience. You don't over here. You end up with a. But this is the thing. This is where you have to separate that whole teacher student when you are in the thing. I mean, when we were when me and you when you have taught me, it was a clear separation. I am the instructor right now, and you will take what I give you. Without question, then we go back downstairs, and it's you know we're back to normal. Yeah. Uh, that wouldn't happen in Japan. You know, back then you would finish, 
the instructor will go out and you would like unless if that's if you see that instructor you know you still acknowledge them but they aren't friends outside of the dojo like we would be like they wouldn't do things like this they wouldn't go to the pub for a drink the, the, i think it is later on in this book he, he explains your senpai is not your friend mm. he's your instructor and that's as far as it goes yeah. uh, and it does change the structure especially in japan with friends when you have people who end up going to certain levels of uh, power over another but again this will be discussed in when we cover judd reed's book yeah, because he has a very yeah, good talk about yeah, this his his books uh quite in, like quite interesting because i think in one of the scenes in his book um because if i remember right there weren't many um foreigners who did the uchideshi i think there was only the next few which was uh, yeah it was, he was only about one of three i think when he was there I can't remember the other guy's called now. Um, I want to say one of his friends was Muhammad. Uh, yeah, but there was, an, there was, a, there was another guy who did it just after Jud. Jud did it while Sosai was alive, and then there was a few others did it um, right before Sosai passed. Uh, so they didn't actually complete it while Sosai was alive. But I can't remember, can't remember his name. But anyway, in Jud's book, he, he says at breakfast time, uh, I believe someone uh, asked one of the foreigners to to get them some rice and. I don't know if they didn't listen or something. And Jud said that he just seen like a, a ball fly across the, the table. <laughs> I, know, I know the story, yeah. yeah. It was because they had to keep an eye out at all times to see if, if they yes, were finished, they finished the food. It, yes, that was right. And if they had... They, they would, had to they be on the ball to get the food. If they wanted more. And this guy had to ask him. And uh, he wasn't happy that he had to ask him. And he, he chucked his ball at him. Yeah, yeah he just—he didn't even ask. He just launched the ball, didn't he? And just straight off his head because it's his. It was on him. The the younger student. He was. Yeah. Exactly, but yeah, but anyway, uh, that's the Kohai Senpai system. It brings it's it's brought up quite a bit in this, so that's a good expert. So that that's the explanation that you need. That so if you hear those words again, that's what they mean. Uh, so back to the book. The rule can be, so remember complete tasks that you've been assigned promptly and powerfully in the rule can be summarized this way. If your teacher asks you to do something, do it. If your teacher asks you to do something and it's hard to do, fight harder and get it done. If your teacher asks you to do something but tries you might, you can't do it, make sure you communicate that fact to your teacher before your teacher finds the task undone or sees you not doing it. If your teacher asks you to do anything unethical, leave that teacher. And that sums up the whole, that whole rule basically. Uh, you know, if you do something, do it right. If you can't do it, say, don't let someone come in three days later and go, well, why has this not been done? Because then you just look like an idiot. You then look lazy. You then look incapable. You then, you look a myriad of these negative things. Whereas if you just go to someone and go, I'm sorry, I'm struggling. I don't know the answer. You come across better. You come across as a stronger person. And this goes, this is everything in life. If you can't do a kata, ask your instructor or ask anyone to help you with the, to help with it. If you just then come back three days later and they go, well, have you managed to get this learned? No, I struggled. Why didn't you ask? Uh, because I wouldn't want to teach you any further. You, you're not, you're not showing that you're willing to learn. And this goes, this goes for work. If you're, if I ask you to build something and you come back three days later and it's not built, why didn't you ask? Cause reasons. Oh, yeah, that's it. I mean, if you've got tools missing, like you know, if you needed the cement, you haven't got the cement, then yeah, should 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 have been brought up. But I think you raised a good point as well. Didn't he say at the end of that, um, something along the lines, of, if the instructor can't do it, find another instructor? Was that was that? If the, yeah, if the teacher asks you to do anything unethical, leave yes. that teacher. Yeah. So I, I think from what he's saying there is, is like, an instructor should never tell you to do something that they can't do. So yeah. unless it's because of you know I mean you wouldn't expect a, like a, an eight year old instructor to be able to do jumping over a ball. I mean some some probably still can, um, but uh, <laughs> yeah. so you do get to a certain point where you can't you physically can't do things because you know age age gets in the way. But yeah, don't teach something that you've never physically done. I mean you know yourself when. When, when when I used to come up with like crazy ideas, I'd always test them first before I went and <laughs> put them. Yeah. Class, 
I wouldn't ask you to do a combo that I've never done on a pad. Yeah. Not, I wouldn't ask you to do something with a bag that I've that, never that done. That was a good point he raised there. You know, they, 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 I think that's what he means by that. That's, how, that's what I take that as. Is, uh, yeah. Is, um, if he's going to tell you to do something, he should also be able to, to do it. Because, I mean, I've seen videos. I've yeah. seen videos online where the instructor's telling people to do it and he doesn't have a, he does not do it himself. You know, he's seen something yeah. online. How many fake battles? And he's like, oh, that'll be a good idea to teach. And then... He goes in, he just says, right, you're doing this. And then everyone's like, right. And he just, he just, they won't show them. So yeah. that's a good point. It's a it's good like point. I saw online. Yeah. You know, some people, some people can be, did you say like, um, not teachable? Like you wouldn't want to teach them uh, if they were coming back. But same respect, you wouldn't yeah. want to be taught by someone who, who also doesn't know what they're doing, you know? Exactly. Uh, and this goes back to the previous one uh, where it's your responsibility as a student to find a teacher who can teach yes. and teach ethically and teach well. Uh, right. Back to the book. In this sense, the worst response is not only to not is to not only not do what you've been asked to do, but also not to say anything about it. It looks to the teacher as if you ignored the challenge completely. Then you've shown a lack of desire and therefore a lack of respect. The Japanese student would say that you have a weak spirit. This concept both falls into the realm of a rule of etiquette and is an important ingredient in the recipe for becoming strong. It's rude, of course, to ignore your teacher's request, but it also makes you stronger to undertake the challenge and assignments your teacher gives you, and it makes you stronger to fulfill them. It's part of the learning process. It's part of the strengthening process. The teacher will find challenges for you that will make you stronger and will do his or her best to avoid asking of you what is impossible so that you don't spend too much time disappointed. Mm-hmm. And there you go. That's exactly what you're saying there. Yeah. Absolutely. You have to be able to do, your instructor has to be able to do these things That's and has to make sure that you're yeah. able to do it. It's also a safety thing as well, you know, like, you, if, you're, if you're teaching someone how to do knife attacks that you don't necessarily, uh, not, sorry, not do knife attacks, but um, to, pre- to prevent against uh, a, a knife attack, um, defending against them. If you're teaching a student who's putting their faith in you that if they ever came to that point of this knife attack, that they would, they're going to think, oh yeah, this works. This is this this is going to be safe. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, don't don't you know it's as simple as that. Don't teach some sort of stuff that you don't know. But this is also why you need to look into into different things. I always got told if you're going to practice defending against knife attacks, um, use a permanent marker and. Do you know them little paper suit things? Yeah, like a white yeah, t-shirt that you will yeah, and some... just to see how many times you'll it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah exactly. Unless that person's been in a knife fight, how the hell do you know that that's going to work? Because yeah, well, someone throws someone, but yeah, but someone pulls a weapon on you. The, the the best way to defend against that weapon is to give them your phone and wallet and call the bank later on and have your card yeah, cancelled. Uh, yeah, you know, if someone like, like yeah, <laughs> I'll get too far in it, but you know, you you know what I've taught you. It's, it's, it's the simple thing. Yeah. If someone asks for something and they've got a knife, you just give them. It's not worth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, big thing but, there is yeah. If you, if your instructor doesn't. Um, if they don't know what they're doing, then you're never going to know what you're doing. Exactly. But if they do ask you to do something and you're physically capable of doing do it, it, do it yeah. well. 100%. This is goes back. To, this is goes back to the cutter as well. If you know how to do a cutter, don't half ass your cutter. Do it all. Do it properly. Do it hard. Every punch with meaning. Every block with meaning. Every step with power and grace. And then when you actually have to come to do it for real you're ready for these challenges in life. Yep. And it's the same at work. If someone asks you to build a wall and you just sort of throw everything together and go, well, that looks like a wall. You're never going to get hired for another job. But if you go in and you go on and that wall is picture perfect and they look at that and go, he's, he knows what he's doing him. I want him for the next job. And this is the same thing. It's, it's everywhere in life. Do it. Do it well. Do what you're asked. And if you're struggling, say yeah, something. It's, it's, you look it's, stronger. It's not, there's no shame in asking, asking for help. No. I think I think the shame lot, comes if you're not willing to learn. A lot of that comes from, um, you know, like uh, a lot of people don't want to. Uh, they feel like it's more of a burden asking someone than it is just to sit mm-hmm. there and struggle. Which I kind of absolutely see some people's yeah. points. You know, some people, the like there's some instructors where you, you don't want to ask them. You, yeah, because you know what's going to happen. Like that and you know, but yeah. 
so I kind of see where people, some people's points come from. But it, it, if you're struggling, you don't know. Then there's going to be there's got to be someone in your school or dojo that that know that knows what you're struggling yeah. with. There has to be, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I when I was away with uh, doing part of my training with the uh, the reserves, we were always we were told if you don't know, ask. You're going to be your training. You put into life and death situations. It's better to make the mistake now and learn it and get the help you need, rather than waiting until later on when you're actually in that situation and someone goes, "Why haven't you done this?" People are going to die. You're like, "Well, I never really learned how to do it, so I just never really asked." It's unacceptable, yeah. uh, and I wouldn't want to be in a situation with a person like that, and I wouldn't want to be the person that puts someone in that situation. No, uh, neither should anyone that want to be that way themselves. But back to the book. Number 11, the Senpai Kohai system brings you closer to your teacher. Going back to the Senpai system here. So students who are struggling with the rules of etiquette or students who are having trouble trouble following instructions or relaxing enough to concentrate on the how or resisting the flow and staying on their heels in class can easily become confused and think that the Senpai Kohai system is designed to create distance between them and their Senpais or between them and their teacher. This student who is mistakenly insisting on the wrong track can easily come to believe that his or her senpais or even his or her teacher is haughty and unfriendly. That student might come to believe that the rules of etiquette are there so that the senpai or teacher can feel superior. But this student should look again. Imagine the case where the teacher is welcoming students outside the dojo before class. One student, the the toast uh, type student, gets out of his car, jogs energetically towards the dojo, making sure to look both ways on the street, and then when they get a reasonable distance from a teacher, stops in his or her tracks, both feet parallel, bows, and announces, us. In this te- uh, case, the teacher's response is probably, us, hi you, what's up, it's good to see you. That is a very friendly response from the teacher. The teacher is, after all, grateful that the student has such a spirit to take the leap of faith and follow the instructions that have been given, following the rules of etiquette. Now, if you obviously reverse that, that's what he goes on to say, where if you get out of the car and you just sort of lazily wander and meander past, you look like an arse, and they don't care for you. And this is the same in the army. You salute. If you don't know, salute. It's better to be told you don't need to salute me than to be told you should have saluted me. And it's the same with this, and it's the same with anything. Show respect to the person, and then will. It, it, this is about showing respect both ways, realistically, because if you show respect to your teacher, they'll show respect to you. And in return, you're willing. To, they'll be willing to teach you more. They'll be willing to to work with you more because they know that you're a respectful student who's willing to actually bother when they're doing when it comes mm. to doing things. No, definitely. And it's the same as well. If you show, if you have a teacher that's willing to respect you, you're willing to learn from them. You know, someone who's willing to get down and dirty in the trenches with you is someone who you want to have by your side, especially if they're showing the willingness to learn with you, the willingness to grow with you, even though they are. Your superior, your senpai, and you're their kohai. A lot of people, a lot of people, and this, especially in the the, the west, they, they they struggle with that, with having that um yeah that system in place. I mean, to be I'll be honest, like when when I first did karate, I thought it was weird, awesome all the time. You know, there's foreign yeah. things just suddenly come into your life, and but then it's <laughs> too natural sometimes. I mean, when you get on the bus and that, and you give them the money, and they say, "Oh, thank you," like awesome. It's like, oh. No, I'm oh. not, I'm not anymore. I'm in, I'm in my uh, my outfit now. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't, I, I don't walk around saluting the uh, the postman. So, uh, so, but yeah, but this is what it's about. It's about once you recognise where you sort of are in the pecking order, you and you give the right respect to the right people. It's not about kissing ass. And it's not about sucking up to people. It's about showing the right level of respect to the right people. And it does get noticed. Yeah. Uh, and this is why you end up with a better system. Because if you show respect to the people who, who are your betters, for lack of another word, or your superiors, and that's the thing. If you say someone's a superior, people automatically take that in a negative way. It is a, it's seen negatively. Or you, you're acting superior to me. And it's like, well, he is your superior by, by right of rank or by right of belt, or by right of age, or something like yeah, that, you know? The, but it's a two-way. It has to be worked both ways. You know, I still believe in the... Um, the I, I believe in the um, the way that respect does work equally 
both ways. You know, mm-hmm. like, uh, I didn't stop speaking to white belts because I suddenly got an orange belt. It's like, oh no, I'm not talking to you. And yeah. I, I'm I'm slightly high now, but I have known that to be the case in clubs where people have yeah. gone up that, that extra rank and then they, they and suddenly they turn the nose up and it's like, right, so what, uh, what changed? Suddenly they feel good. You know, like yeah, yeah. Whether a white belt walks just because you went from one day to black belt walks in, this should still say us. It, it, yeah, exactly. You know, it's about showing a level of respect. I mean, just because you are all like, it, it, like, absolutely a, a black belt on with a little gold stripe, it doesn't make you any more godlike. You're still the same. You still bleed. Yeah. You know a lot more. Yes, yeah. but in the same respect. You know that that white belt will one day probably have a black belt with that same gold stripe on. So show the respect mm-hmm. from the beginning right to the end, and it follows. Yeah. You know, you'll you'll have students who do who do who follow, which is good. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, if you ever if anyone ever watches Band of Brothers, uh, the scene where Dick Whit- Major Dick Winters is in the car, and uh, Major uh, Captain so- Sokol, I think it is Sobel. Uh, played by David Trimmer, walks by and he doesn't salute the major. And the major stops and goes, uh, "Captain, we salute the rank, not the person." And it's that if if a say you have a Xi'an walks in and you can't stand the Xi'an, it doesn't matter. Show him the respect, and it's acknowledged. Whether you hate him, whether you don't care who I don't care who he is, show him the respect, and it makes your take at at, at the minimum you're taking the moral high ground. Yeah, whether he knows it or not, you're taking the moral high ground and say, like, right, I'll show it now, and it's acknowledged. But, or whether it isn't acknowledged, it doesn't matter. You're still yeah. a better person for it. I mean, you've got to think as well, though, you, the, the higher up you get, you know, the, the, the younger ranks are watching you. So if you're standing there and you're not awesome, uh, like you, I think you put a Xi'an, um, then they see that and then they're like, well, if he doesn't have to, to awesome, why, why, why mm-hmm. do I? Like, uh, but, yeah. They learn. Monkey see, monkey do. So it, show, just show the respect while while it's there. Absolutely. Right, back to the book. Share it twice, it's life and death. One very common mistake made by beginners is to make too small a correction when asked so that the teacher has to repeat him or herself. This is particularly true of heel-type students. However, the Budo Karate spirit is to never make your teacher or senpai repeat him or herself because of your weak response. One easy example is a Zen Kutsudachi, or the long stance, as we tend to call it in English. This is my favorite example of this. It always is. It's the perfect one. It's called a long stance for a reason. It's supposed to be long and deep, but sometimes the beginning student's stance isn't long enough, so the teacher reminds the student, long stance, please. The student responds, us, and makes his or her stance longer by an inch, but it wasn't a big enough correction since the stance was more like eight inches too short. So the teacher says, no, a long stance. The student's rep- response, us, makes it an inch longer. And this repeats and repeats and repeats. And it just shows phenomenal levels of, well, lack of respect, a rudeness. You know, it's, I mean, how many times I've been in a class where someone says, make it a long stance on the first, sta- on the first time we do it. Make it a long stance, make it long, wide and powerful. The how, not the what. And then you come back and they're like, and people have their legs in line and they're standing up tall, like they haven't shrunk down. And you just, oh, and it's infuriating to watch. And it must be more infuriating, especially when, you know, like yourself, when you're the instructor and you can look at it and you go, well, do I have to repeat myself for a third time now? It can, it can go the opposite as well. Like, you know, when you tell them to do a long stance and it's, it's too long. Uh, yeah. The way I put that down to, but it's... kids will be kids. You know, if, if you don't... Yeah, you you tell a kid to do an instruction, and they'll do it exactly how you say to do it. Uh, you've got to break things down. Yeah. You know, this is where it's frust- people get frustrated teaching children. Uh, break it down. You know, I I tended to yeah. rather than just saying to them, do a long stance, um, because to me that instruction isn't massively clear. Do a long stance, right? Okay. Yeah. Does, does does one foot is it is it is the long stance four foot five foot? Do you know? How, yeah. Yeah. Is it one foot directly yes. in front of the other? Do I? Why? You're not yeah. saying how wide. You're just, you're just telling them do a long stance, right? If 
if you're an experienced person, then yeah, you know, all oh, right, okay, my foot needs to be here. But as as a, especially a newbie and a child, that that makes right, okay, well, I'll just move my foot a little bit further. You know yourself that distance to children are, is a uh, is is massively out of proportion to to, to yeah. us. You know when you sit in a car and you 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 think when your mum and dad used to drive two hours down the road, it used to feel like hours and hours and hours yeah. and it was only two hours down the road and now it's like you're thinking you sit yeah. there and you go the same trip and you'd be like but yeah i remember that being a lot longer than it was Is that it? <laughs> yeah so, absolutely i used to just you know right show them what the stance was and how they look and then if it's done wrong again then you know the, <laughs> the either the, the they're not listening or they're, or they're taking the mic um, but yeah. it, it's the, the, yeah. the instruction for a kid has to be clear. It's a bit different for an adult, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah, which is, which is where this definitely, where this, which is yes. where this rule definitely starts um, to come in. Where, but for for children, it has to be broken down a bit more. I would say. Exactly. I mean, the principle behind it is you shouldn't have to make someone no. repeat themselves. Obviously, if you are genuinely oh, yeah, struggling, that's yeah. one thing. But no, if 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 you if you just take the mic, then yeah, yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, obviously this goes back ties into the other rules. You should be willing to learn these things. You have to be willing to learn. And once you're in the stance, that there's a lot of minutia that goes into it. But once you're shown, you should also be then taking the time to practice that to make sure that they don't have to repeat it yeah. again later on. That's what the principle is, which is why the rules tie in together, rather than just the idea of oh well, I have to keep telling the kids over and over again. Yes. Kids are kids. At, the, at some point, you have to teach a child. You can't teach a child the way you teach an adult. Yeah, it doesn't work. It has to be done differently. You're right. But as an adult, especially, you should be having a mindset of, I shouldn't need, they shouldn't need to repeat it. I should be learning how to do so. Again, some things are just too yeah. complicated to learn on one explanation. Oh, yeah. I mean, someone couldn't, ex- someone couldn't explain to me how to, how to develop an app that, you know, for a comp- from a phone in one explanation. It doesn't work that way. But you should be striving to learn as much as you can from that one immediate interaction because later on in life or in other aspects of life, you aren't going to get these multiple iterations of all the, you know, all, all the routes. You're not going to constantly get them thrown at you. If you're in a war situation or a fight or some serious situation and every two minutes you stop and go, sorry, can you explain that again? It's like people are dying here or someone's in serious trouble. I don't, I don't have time yeah, to keep yeah, explaining. Yeah. No, I, you know? Like if you come up, if, if you come upon a car crash and you try to get someone and you call call them up and go, oh, how old are they? Oh, I don't know. I'll go back and ask them. Hi. Oh, I forgot. Hang on. I'll go back and ask. Oh, hang on. It's like be willing to learn how to do something the first time. Yeah. It's not always life and death, but, the, the, but think, when it comes to a job, it's a level of respect as well. People the, see it as a level of respect. I mean, the, 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 we understand where the where this is coming from with, with this book. But uh, is the book talking about ex- ex- you teaching experienced people or is it on about teaching this new person? Is it expecting you to be um, – is the book expecting you to be new? Competent. To, to what you're learning? Yeah. I would expect yes, but I think he also understands that most people who read this book aren't the kind of people yeah, – yeah who want to know, like, 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 I mean, I wouldn't know who Nathan Lego is. I, I wouldn't know about this book if you hadn't yeah. given me it. I, I wouldn't know who it, would be, who it would go through. But he does go into a lot of detail for people who are, I, I, it is meant for a beginner, but I think the people who are going to take the most away from it are people who can, who can read it and already yeah. understand it, who might, have some other, who might have some other understanding of something else what? to apply. Which like if you had a me because I, a mili- I was finding the book when I was I want to say brown belt um could be wrong there it might have been black belt I definitely didn't find it yeah. early on in uh, in my karate career it was definitely later on which you know I was quite good because I thought this this would have helped me but in the same yeah. respect if I found yeah. it earlier would have would I have understood it um because it, it is if, if, well, you, if you don't I know we're breaking down each each section to what we believe is how we're taking the book, but someone else could take it another way, which is with every book. 
you know. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, you need there's some things yeah, you can take at face value. There's some things that are a bit esoteric. Some things that will make no sense at all to some people. Uh, like I say, considering where it's from uh, and what country it's based mm-hmm. on, it's hard to apply that to our lives. Yeah. I think, especially the sent by system. It's literally just it's. It's just a rank system explained in a different method, but people can't wrap their heads around the idea of, well, this yeah, person's people, better people than me. Uh, that person is nice. But I think the world would run better if the, if the whole world ran by a senpai kohai system. Yeah, exactly. You'd at least understand where you yeah, were in the pecking yeah, exactly. order, wouldn't you? Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, back to the book. Your teacher is angry. It's a, This is number 13. Your teacher is angry. It's life and death for everyone, especially you, if you feel like someone else was responsible. Please understand it is your teacher's job to maintain a certain standard of training. In my case, since I trained on a Masuyama for two years in Japan, I tend to compare classes that I teach to a very high standard. Western students are often confused by the cultural divide into thinking that we can't possibly match the Japanese standard. On the contrary, however, if you were to understand and embody the principles set out in this book, you would most certainly match it. However, if you want to understand your teacher, it is important to understand that keeping classes to a certain minimum standard of training, it is a matter of principle for your teacher. It is a matter of conscience. When Western students resist that standard and, and unknowingly, of course, try in numbers to do something less, the teacher's job is to do whatever is necessary to keep the standard up. I myself... Do not, but my teachers, but my first teacher, Masuyama's nephew, used to beat us with a shinai, a bamboo sword for those who don't know, both to toughen us and sometimes to drive home certain understandings that we were slow to acquire. The idea being, by the way, if you've never been whacked by a shinai because you're not doing your stance right, uh, it hurts. Uh, I have. Luckily, I was doing the stance correct. He was just batting me for no reason, and it was probably you. Hmm. Uh, but it reinforces the point that this would hurt a lot more if you if you do a stance, you should be locked up. You know, you should be tense. You know, ready to go, almost in a bodybuilder like state. You know, where they're all flexed and strong and powerful. If you're strong and powerful, you shouldn't feel the pain as much as compared to just being soft and you know not tense. It'll sting a lot more. Uh, it's almost like you know you're mentally prepared for it, whether you know it's coming or not. Uh, but the principle here is, if your teacher's angry, you should be scared, especially if you're because this this comes down to a taking responsibility thing, where he says, especially if you think someone else was responsible, because if you start blaming other people rather than yourself, then you're going to become the one that's actually responsible, because you're going to take no responsibility for your own actions. And then later on, you're going to get to a point where you are winding the teacher up because, well, it's always someone else's fault. It's always the kids that are doing this. It's always that. And it's like, well, how would you know? Just because he's not direct, directly addressing you doesn't mean it's I, not you. I always told people when when an instructor's directing something, take it as it's directed to you. Absolutely. Whether, I believe that is actually it. whether it's you or not. You know, if he stops in these... Because most instructors, certainly a good instructor, will never... Um, single someone out. Uh, that to me is uh, wrong. I don't embarrass someone yeah. in front of class. Um, if you've got a, if, no, if you've talk to them in private. In private, but a, a good instructor will um, bring up the the issue to the whole class, and then you've just got to sit there and think, All right, okay, clearly I was doing that wrong, even if you weren't. Whether that's like your little that's all right i've noticed like there's a few little fingers yeah. sticking out you know and don't think haha that's not me yeah. right, i was perfect no take that as it was you and make sure you doing the next time yeah. you do it it's it's even better you know exactly i always used to do that whenever we say right get into a long a long stance my eyes would immediately flick down to look at it and go mm-hmm. uh, am i right i would i would assume he's talking to me at all points assume he's talking to me or anyone's talking to me because then that way, if I am doing it right, great. If I'm not doing it right, well, this is the time to correct it. And make sure he doesn't yeah. have to repeat himself. And I say that goes back to the uh, um, you know, you just, yeah. you don't want to sit there and say, "Oh, hickety, hickety, hickety," like it's too low. You just just say it once. Yeah. Everyone should be like, 
Oh, that clearly meant me and lifted up, put it in the right place. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, the standard is you shouldn't have to say it, but obviously that's never no. always going to be the case, especially when you've got a lot of younger ones and new yeah, ones and all that. This is why we drill basics. This is why you drill the basics mm-hmm. over and over again. Right. Back to the book. Imagine your class today has become a heels type class and your teacher is visibly frustrated. Please, sorry, first, please understand that if your karate teacher is any good, he or she will even blow his or her top uh, if he or she has to, to get through to the students who are unknowingly resisting progress and therefore unknowingly asking their teacher to lower the dojo standard. How frustrating it is when the teacher blows his or her top as a last resort to try and get through to a thick-headed student who still... Instead of figuring out that the teacher is frustrated because something that a student is doing acts like there's something wrong with the teacher for blowing his or her lid. I've been there. Believe me, it's not a fun place to be to help your teacher out. Understand not only if your teacher has gotten angry, it's in the service of the effort to maintain a standard that you or some other student of the room is resisting, but also that he or she has done so at some personal risk. That is, by keeping after that thick-headed, still-resisting student, the teacher has even put his or her own dignity at risk to follow his or her conscience and uphold the standard of training demanded by their sense of duty. They're putting themselves out there to teach you. Don't make them have to struggle yeah. through it, basically. It's, 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 it goes back to that thing. Is, you know, it, 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 are you a student who wants to be taught or doesn't? Um, but that also goes yeah. to, you know, I've, I found a lot of the time when a kid doesn't want to be taught, it's because they don't want to be there. And a lot of the time, it's because the parent wants them mm-hmm. to be there. If your kid doesn't want to do it, they don't want to do it. Yeah. And that's when it becomes frustratingly hard to teach. Because, like you said mm-hmm. before, kids yeah. do monkey see, monkey do. If they don't see one kid doing it, they'll copy and then so on. And you end up with a class that really yeah. quickly gets out of control. And if. Yeah. And then it's an uphill yeah, battle like to do people anything. Like, people like feel that and then it just becomes so difficult. Um. So, yeah. Yeah. I, it's a good rule. Um. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. The next three, number 14, 15, and 16, uh, are all titled and then subtitled uh, further, uh, react inversely to hardship. It's very easily stated, but apparently for some reason much harder to implement. Jocks and football teams do it all the time. It's a very common phenomenon for sportsmen, even in American culture, and yet it seems to be hard to come by in, in the dojo for some reason. Simply stated, it's when the going it's when the going gets harder or when the environment becomes a challenging one, you have to start fighting harder to overcome. And in the karate sense, since it's all ultimately about life and death, that inverse reaction has to be to the umpteenth degree. Essentially, if it gets hard, you are, you have to get harder to fight. And this is what the next these three lessons here, number 14, 15, and 16, they all group into one, but he takes a different view on each one. Number uh, number fourteen explains that principle of if it gets hard, you have to start yeah. fighting harder. Uh, number two, the second point of that is to turn on the animal, basically to dig deep and get angry to an extent, go full Hulk. And the third one is a visibly a visibly angry, frustrated, or disappointed teacher or senpai. And I'll have to explain this one a little bit more on that one. Uh, this section is really a continuation of number 13, Your Teacher is Angry, It's Life and Death. So please make sure you've read that section. If you have, you'll probably understand that you'll probably already know what I'm going to say here. Go back and consider one more time the sensei has blown his top scenario. Remember that the teacher has done so to defend your dojo and your standard of training. Your teacher has done so as a matter of principle because he or she is bound to do so by conscience. Your teacher has put his or her dignity at risk for you. Now, the question is, how are you going to respond to whatever it is that's made your teacher angry, frustrated, or disappointed? You've got it. You turn on the animal. Like an angry badger, pound whatever it is right into the dojo floor, drive whatever it is right out of the dojo, start with yourself, then move on to your classmates, provide no refuge in your dojo, whatever it is that occurred that's enough to blow your that's enough below your teacher's standards that he or she has to resort to such measures. Basically, don't stand for any rubbish. And if, but again, you have to start with yourself on this one. This goes back to the whole point of if something, if your teacher's shouting and getting angry, don't look around and go, oh, well, who's doing that? Start with you. And only when you are doing it 100% correct, 100% of the time, can you then start to really look out and go, right, well, now I'm, 
I'm not too much worrying about myself, but now I'm starting to pick up on all the people who are doing the little things. But again, you have to stamp it out, but it's not about humiliating. It's about, yeah, at some point you have to pull these people to one side and go, look, mm-hmm. I notice you're struggling. Let me give you a few pointers and I'd, I'd like to help you through because I don't want you to feel out. I don't want you to feel embarrassed. I don't want you to feel this or whatever. Again, though, obviously if it's in a Japanese dojo, they'll probably yeah. pull you to one side and kick the ever-living hell out of you until you get it through your head. But unfortunately, we're not allowed to do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, over here, if you get hit with a shin eye, we accept it. But if, if a new guy starts getting hit with a shin eye, that's bullying, that's tantamount to assault, it's this, that, and the other. And it's like, well, that's just yeah, the way it is, yeah. mate. Get over it. But obviously, the standards change. The standards have to be yeah. kept and all the rest oh, of it. Yeah, so, right. yeah. But this is why I've had to put the three rules the together because they are, they are all the same rule yeah. and they all in the link. I mean, I would recommend reading this book to anyone, but uh, unfortunately, there's a lot. There's another hundred rules to go, so I think we are going to have to yeah. start grouping some rules together and Just to try and speed through a little but, bit. Unfortunately, but... I know, otherwise you're going to have a, a 20 episode series on this one book, which is good, but. Um, yeah, you know. it's, it, but it shows the depth you can go into. You have to read it. Exactly. So, anyway, ladies and gentlemen, that has been up to rule, not including rule 17. That's up to rule 16 now uh, of the Kyokushin Beginner's Guide. Uh, unfortunately, we are going to have to cut it there. Because, uh, like I say, if we went on for this forever, we'd have a 24 hour podcast and we'd never stop. It'd be like a radio <laughs> station more than anything. Uh, so that's why we've had to group at least three rules together there. So yeah, Connor, it's been a pleasure uh, doing this again with you. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you have enjoyed this uh, this edition of the Marshall Way podcast. Uh, this is episode two. We'll be releasing episode three again next week with the same, doing the same thing again. Um, eventually, we will move on, I think, to another book. But I think we probably are going to skip a few or hand yeah, pick a few yeah. rules out of this to try and. Uh, Pick what we what we believe are the more important ones, uh, are the ones that you should be specifically taking into uh, everyday life. We might read them out and then just yeah. go into depth into a few. Oh, it's been a pleasure. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it has been a pleasure, Connor. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, we shall see you, and I shall see yes, you again next yeah. week as well, Connor. All right. Thank you for listening. Yes, right, everybody.